Welcome to The Third Wheel. This is episode two of The Dragon Reborn. Uh, today we are talking about chapters eight through eighteen of this slow to start book. It's getting better. Uh, I am. It, it was getting better, and then it switched over. Yeah, it became better at some point in here. Um, that was the voice of one of the hosts. Yes, hi, I'm Jesse. And the other one is. Hello, I'm Beyond. I'm here this week. Yay. Yeah, uh, and I'm Tyler. We're doing it a little out of order, but that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you have to make concessions because here's what we're doing strange this week. Uh, I know last time we mentioned Beyond was being sent to a tower for healing. Well, we managed to catch up with them just before they got there and roused them from their catatonic state of screaming in the old tongue about not being meat for Ace Sedai. Uh, do you have anything to say about your current state, sort of physically? I wish you could see the pure hatred on Beyond's face. I am physically here today. That's all we yeah, That's all we can do. Yes. Sometimes that's all you can ask on this earth. Yeah, uh, not to get too personal to start with, but Beyond was sick for like two weeks got better for maybe six hours, and now is sick again. <laughs> yeah? Feel yeah, free to back me up. Okay. That's, that's just how it is, honestly. Um, I haven't been this sick in a long time, and so it was like, all oh, the sickness that I've been procrastinating on has compiled into one giant sickness. Um, yeah, it's really good. I should but... check my account. <laughs> we managed to drag them out of their sick bed to get them to record just with an extra gravelly voice yeah my my truly vital presence what would you do without me uh, continue to record i guess so <laughs> i guess that was any sort of announcement situation yeah let's just jump right into it so we're gonna start with chapter eight is that number jara we're going to be skimming through the first couple of these chapters because, wow, not a lot interesting what? happens. What do you mean, what? Chapter eight might actually be my favorite chapter we've read of this book so far. Like, I feel like Perrin's perspective was just getting good. And then we switch over to the Wonder Squad being at their Wonder Squadiest. I think Perrin's perspective is interesting. I just don't know that, um, like, this section... I don't know. Oh, no. Maybe. Everything up to this chapter did not interest me at all. But these oh, two chapters are like my favorites that we've read in the book. But Yeah, that's fair. The the wolf brother that's a too far gone wolf brother was interesting in my opinion. Yeah, and it meshes with some of the things that they were talking yeah. about earlier in the chapter well. Well, maybe I'll just lean back then. Yeah, calm down, host. Let the other hosts speak. <laughs> um... Jesse, why don't you talk about why you distinctly liked it so much? I just thought it was interesting because I was like, you've gone too far, wolf brother. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> sorry, before we go on, Beyond just called something in these books interesting. They've done it before. They must be sick. No, I've, I've said, I remember, I think I made fun of myself in an episode because I kept saying something was fascinating. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
the Wolf Brother stuff was interesting to me, but it was more interesting in in combination with the stuff that we learned earlier in the chapter about Tavaran. And this chapter has some of my favorite demonstrations of what a Tavaran does to the world. And then it, like, pays off with Perrin's interaction with the wolf brother and the wolf brother's brother. Whoa. I know. Um, yeah, that's fair. Maybe it's just me doing the thing where, like, I can't not know... Like, when you say Rand walked through a town and some weird stuff happened, like, I can't not know that that was going to have happened as a consequence of the Tavarin thing and how that's going to play out in the series. So maybe it just didn't strike me. But I mean, this is my second time reading it, and it still stuck out to me. This guy has gotten to the end of book five and thinks he knows anything. It's my second time reading this chapter. I think I'm already tired of Tavarin. Like reading the word or? Reading the word and it's just, maybe it's because I read so much fan fiction, but it, it's not, it's not that interesting to me. Whoa. Hard disagree. It becomes, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll be more impressed later, but it's, it's not really captivating me. It's more just, oh. I see that device you're using. Yeah, I Good mean, job. The Tavarin stuff essentially just makes fiction happen. It's yeah. All the, all the things that usually go into interesting, compelling fiction are instead now a mechanic of the world. Yeah. Like, that's the part that I think is interesting, and that's the part... I hope to retroactively make this entire series interesting by talking for like an hour straight right at the end. <laughs> no. It'll be fine. So sorry I derailed us. We no, talk that's... about the chapter sometimes. Uh, yeah. So they arrive in Jara and hey, it turns out like every single unmarried person in the village has gotten married in the past two to three days. Like, continuously. Um, so no one has slept for that amount of time. And also, there were some white cloaks and some weird stuff started happening with, like, some of them defecting and some of them acting in unbecoming manners. So the group heads to an inn. There's a... the beginning of a... I don't know. Calling it a running joke implies that it's funny. But a running joke about loyal being an Ogier and not a Trolloc. He's a sensitive boy. You can tell by looking at his ears. His ears, they twitch. And his eyebrows, they're so long and luxurious. Uh, they're led to the town's inn where Perrin, like, hard confirms that Rand was here. By being very, very obvious. Yes, he was the most Tavarin. Than anyone has ever been. Well, no, I mean, Perrin was very, very obvious. Oh, well. Like, Moraine had already figured it out just from hearing the stuff about the weddings and the white cloaks where Perrin's like, has another stranger passed through here in the last day or two? A young man, tall, with gray eyes and reddish hair, and played the flute for a meal? It's like, well, now everyone knows who you're looking for. Name is Rand Althor from <laughs> the Two Rivers, the Dragon Reborn. Did this explicit person with these specific details, perchance, come near you? Here's this picture. Elaine and Egwene do this worse later in this section. Yeah. 
Uh, well, that's it's all because Perrin's a woolhead, so you can only blame him so much. Yeah. Yeah, and here is where we get the explanation that this is how Tavarin works, that, like, it just makes weird stuff happen. Yeah. It is said that there were times when people in the same room with Arthur Hawkwing spoke truth when they meant to lie and made decisions they had not even known they were contemplating. And for me, that's, like, the crux of what makes Tavarin interesting for me, just that line about making decisions they had not known they were contemplating just makes it possible for even the briefest characterization to resolve into action in the presence of a Tavarin. So people will do extreme stuff just based on, like, the little things we know about them, as long as there's a Tavarin around. Yeah. Uh, Fiction. Fiction. It's at least justified in-universe. Yeah. Uh, So everyone is shown to their rooms, and... One of the employees, the guy that showed them in, um, talks to Perrin alone. He says he knows that Moraine is a Sedai and asks for her help in healing his wolf brother brother. Perrin goes to get Moraine and they head off with the guy to do this. But also Moraine is like, really, dog? You told him? And Perrin's like, nah, he already knew. Don't even trip. And Lan considers killing him. Yeah. Uh, killing the guy, not killing Perrin. Yeah, I mean, Kill, killing, killing this Perrin. random tavern hand that figured out Moraine was nice to die. Yeah, and Moraine's like, no, no. Bat. She like pulls out her spray bottle. Yeah, so they go and see the brother, and then it turns out that he's a wolf brother. He's got the yellow eyes and everything, and he has completely lost himself. Um, he is now full wolf mode. So he, yeah. Like, Moraine tries to kneel down and heal him, but there's nothing there to do. It's all mental. So, Perrin releases him from the cage, and Perrin and this random employee have a moment where they're like, I see you. You're good. Yeah. This is a moment where Perrin and the stagehand, not stagehand, uh, tavern hand, this moment where... Perrin and this random are talking to me is sort of the payoff of all the exposition about Tavarin earlier in the chapter. Like Perrin convinces this guy to let his brother free and then also has this sort of highly loaded conversation where uh, the tavern hand clearly knows that Perrin is the dark friend that the white cloaks were looking for. Mm hmm. But they, you know, sort of do some cute double talk around it, which is actually kind of fun to read. Yeah. Yeah, that's a trope that is usually really fun is the like, they're looking for a guy by this description. Oh, yeah. Yep. Haven't seen him. Chapter nine, Wolf Dreams. Uh, Back in his room, Perrin thinks about the wolf brother for a while and then finally gets the courage to go and speak to Moraine. His conversation with her isn't very useful to him. Uh, We learn that the wolf brother status is one that has existed for a long time, uh, before the Age of Legends at least, uh, which tracks because the wolves are always talking about, like, they have genetic memory and it's from back in the beginning of all things, which there isn't, but don't worry about it. 
and that it was already known that some wolf brothers are going to lose themselves to the wolf situation, but that nobody knows what percentage that is. Um, she says, like, could be 5%, could be 20%. Oh, we'll find out. She also talks about the wolves having some sort of connection to a world of dreams, which is dangerous and parents should be careful and that she can't do anything about that for him. He just kind of has to deal with it. Reading this conversation just sort of reminded me again how tiring it is to just read characters antagonizing each other when they should be working together for 14 books. Mm -hmm. Like, we have all these characters that supposedly care about each other and are working towards the same goals, but they're just never good to each other or have any chemistry. It's just a little tiring. Yes. I would say, I don't know that anybody except... Sometimes Lan and usually Suan actually cares about Moraine, though. And well, Moraine yeah. makes it very clear that, like, she only cares about Perrin as long as he is not in the way of her caring about Rand. I am not here to make friends. I am here to do my sole purpose. Wow. She's, she's that one girl on Survivor every season. Hmm. Um, I don't know about either of you, but I find it really hard to take Wolf Brother seriously. Partially because just I just think... Brother Bear. <laughs> there's a wolf inside you which wolf do you feed or the whole uh only wolf bros here chilling no wolf sisters no wolf ladies no wolf genderless beings of dreams let me ask you which one is worse wolf brothers or capital black sisters that's bad that one's bad too i feel bad every time i type it in my notes <laughs> That's also bad. Why is it so bad? Yeah, so I just have I have a little bit hard to take it seriously. Also, perhaps because werewolves are such a fantasy thing. Um, He's not a werewolf, though. <laughs> he can just mentally mess himself up real bad. Yeah, but he doesn't, like, transform physically into a wolf. That's just disappointing. Well... He gets other stuff with the wolves. And and can other animals also have this significance? No, it's just the wolves. Just the wolves. Just the majestic, fierce forest dogs. That's because I mean, the they're pretty cool. I mean, they are Because they cool. walk in the world of dreams, apparently. Yeah. More like a parent-tly. But it's just... I don't know. I, it's... Obviously, I know it's fantasy, Tavara, and everything follow it. It's just very hard for me to invest in it i suppose um i would say that for me from like my recollection of reading it took me quite a few books for the wolf brother thing to like a make sense and b be interesting in any way yeah we get like, some it, cooler stuff in the next book yeah like it's cool it's just not or it's interesting but it's not like oh sweet i can't wait to learn more about the wolf brother thing until yeah, significantly later in the series. Perrin goes back to his room and eventually falls asleep. And he's immediately in a dangerous dream. He's in this long hallway and there's this dude dressed all fancy-like. And then he gets consumed by a shadow monster that starts yeah, to wear his skin. Sounded like one of those things from Half-Life. 
I've never played Half-Life. It's one of those things that has like the tongue dangling down from the ceiling. I'll take your word for it. I'm a hashtag fake fan. No thank. And uh, Perrin is also receiving sendings at this time from Hopper, who is that wolf that died in the first book. Uh, no, it can't be Hopper. Can't be. I saw it you die. Can't be. There's literally no way that magic could exist. Also, for this whole thing, Perrin is aware that he's in a dream. And I think I talked about back in the first book that I had this conception of the world of dreams being a place where you're at your most powerful if you act as if you're in a dream but never acknowledge that you're in a dream. But this just sort of throws all that out. It's like, no, you're just, you can just be in the world of dreams and essentially be lucid dreaming and still be fine. But yeah, the world of dreams has a bunch of interesting layers to it, which again, we will learn much more about as time goes on. The difference is that one is actually interesting continuously. In some ways, I feel like this book is the way that people talk about coffee, where you don't initially like coffee, but then people are like, you know what? Nah, you'll develop it. You'll need it. You'll love it. (laughs) And then the people at the end have invested so much time, they're finally so into it, so addicted that they have to let people know how good it is, when really you've just taught yourself to like it because you've put so much time and energy and money into it. That's a a pessimistic way to describe an acquired taste. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about percentages, but like, if you think about, I'm, I can't believe I'm going to reference Harry Potter as if it's a good example, but like, at least book wise, this would be like if we were reading the first, I don't know, we would still be in the first 10 or 15 chapters of book two and me being like, no, there's cool stuff later. Like, think about how much you don't know then versus how much there is later. But it's still interesting. Is it? It was to my 11-year-old self. Maybe I would have found this also interesting to my 11-year-old self. Well, you're only a little twice past that. Anyway. I keep keep derailing my apologies. It's just, it's, those are kind of just my thoughts when reading was wolf bros. And I'm so tired of Tavarin. Could you bro fist a wolf? (laughs) <laughs> it's it's almost the end of the 2010s it's the last time we can say bro fist uh okay so perrin is receiving the sendings from hopper he runs away and then he's in a room with Lanfear, but he doesn't know that it's her and he's like hey what's up and she's like don't be here and then she's gone finally hopper is there in front of perrin Parents like, but I saw you die. How are you not dead? And Hopper's like, don't even worry about it. He wakes Perrin up by, like, biting out his throat. But then when Perrin wakes up, that didn't actually happen. But he is covered in the blood of that guy that got eaten by the Half-Life monster. <laughs> that is kind of a cool visual. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely liked the visual of, like, uh, Perrin waking up. And immediately going for his throat and there being nothing there. But then as soon as he goes to get the water, he realizes that he's covered in blood. So then we cut to Rand, which... He's in a state. He is in a state. Uh, I want to talk about this in a minute. 
we cut to Rand, who is huddled in the wilderness, hiding from some sort of massive dog. Uh, when it attacks him, he fires off a bar of pure, fiery light, uh, dispelling the dog into motes of nothingness. And then Rand starts to just jog towards Tyr with the sound of more dogs behind him, and he continues to think about how he's no easy prey to be hunted. So, like, Rand's having a tough time. Doing the cool guy adventure by himself. Is that the characterization you took from this? Run. Not that he's, like, losing it? I was just like, he's just running. He's, he, he's, he's doing the run, forest run. That's true. He is also, like, clearly losing his mind. I specifically remember, Jesse, you texting me throughout your entire first reading of this book, like, what's going on? Why is Rand like this? Uh, I mean, I understood why he's like this. There's just a thing that comes up later that's a little more extreme than this. I like that one. I guess for myself, I never really liked Rand, so I don't particularly care what he's doing. Except that he's going crazy. But I mean, we kind of knew that. Can I make you happy? He can feel the taint. Yes. Can I make you happy adjacent to Rand by saying that this is the only Rand, I mean, not the only instance of Rand perspective, but like this is the length of the Rand perspectives in this book? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Sweet. See? We're good. And on that note, we end 130 pages of Perrin. Yeah. Uh, Now we're on to chapter 10, Secrets. We are now with Egwene, Neneve, Elaine, Varen, Huron, and Matt, who is Kinda. Con- kind of Matt. The person formerly known as Matt. Flesh suit. Most of the first few pages of this chapter are a recap on who they are, why they're together, what they're doing. In case it's your first book. Yeah, there's around like 10 pages of that. Exposition. Yeah, it really sucks. The only new info here is that Matt is catatonic, which he wasn't the last time we saw him. Nenev suspects he only has hours left before he dies, so we gotta get to the tower. And, like, as soon as she says that, 40 of the Children of the Light show up. Uh, Varen insists that she be the one allowed to do the talking to them. Which should have been stuck with. Yeah. A, should have been stuck with. B... Like, the fact that she had to say it shows what she thinks about these three. But she's totally right. Yeah. B, section two, she's absolutely justified, clearly. These feral children. (laughs) Varen opened her mouth, as if for idle conversation. But before she could speak, Elaine jumped in, voice ringing with command. I am Elaine, daughter heir of Andor. If you do not move aside at once, you will have Queen Morgase to answer to, White Cloak. Varen hissed with vexation. Uh, I have a note that gets repeated over and over in these chapters that says, oh my god, she's so stupid. Is this always in reference to Elaine, or is it... No, there's like one to Elaine, two to Egwene, one to the knave. We'll get to them. This is Elaine number one. Oh my god, she's so stupid. It's just they have their own special ways of doing such bad decisions. Because Elaine is literally princess, and then Neneve is so used to being right, and then Egwene has probably not processed her trauma very well, because her immediate response to this is, NO! 
You can't take me. She pulls a falm again. Yeah, it's, um, they're, 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 they're girls not necessarily having fun and making some poor life choices. <laughs> it's one way to put it. Damn it, Moraine. This is all your fault. Yeah. If only Moraine had never come to the village. Uh, yeah. So I'll just go ahead and assume that every time you say she's so dumb, you are also talking about Elaine, because whenever Elaine isn't on screen, she's probably doing something dumb. No, I think that's the only time I've had that noted for Elaine in this section, but she isn't in it that much. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so the captain of the White Cloaks here is definitely drinking the Kool-Aid about the witches, which I mean, is it's fine. Dane Bornhold. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I don't remember if you mentioned this part, but Elaine, uh, after she says, hey, I'm the princess, the captain's like, sick, they'll reward me when I bring you back because your mom hates the tower now. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he starts to order the uh, white cloaks to come forward and Egwene will not be collared again. She Here will not go. be chained. <laughs> Uh, so she just casually explodes the ground in front of and around the children. And then the name and Elaine join in. And Baron yeah. is like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Baron's like, what are you doing? And they're like, no, but explosions, though. This is sick. <laughs> yeah. So they spook all of the horses and the children until it's just the captain, uh, Dane Bornhold, left on the ground. And Varen makes them feel bad. So Egwene starts to apologize, saying, We've come a long way, all the way from Tome and Head. And if I weren't so tired, I never would have... Oh my god, she's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and Dane Bornhold, of course, knows what it means for these Aes Sedai to be coming from Tome and Head. Yeah. Be yeah, Egwene's Oh my god, like, she's so stupid. Yeah, she's like, We have come as agents of the White Tower supporting the Dragon Reborn, Rand Althor, who can be found here. Let me show you on my map. Like, <laughs> she's really dumb. Everybody is dumb sometimes. They're just really naive in unfortunate ways. They are 18. This section has, like, the worst stuff for the Wonder Squad for me. It's, yeah. like, them at their worst for me. Yeah. And there's lots of admonishing. And, yes, during that apology that Egwene has, I think she says something to the effect of, like, I'm glad I'm not bound by the three O's because I'm <laughs> only kind of telling the truth about being sorry. Pretty much. Which, bad take. But, anyway, they send the guy away, and then uh, we move on to chapter 11, Tar Volan. And this is the chapter that has, if you're reading a paper edition, has a full-page map that looks like a vagina. The Volva Chronicles. <laughs> Essentially. I was reading it on the bus the first time I was reading it, and I opened the page like, oh my god, it's like a vagina taking up this entire page, and like snapped it closed. I specifically remember receiving that text from you. Like, all caps, why is this the case? <laughs> Did you know that women have vulvas and only vulvas and their magic is because of their blossoming vulvas Ugh. <laughs> good stuff flowers mm. anyways flow do you get it do you get it uh yeah the they're an island in the feminine. middle of a river it looks like a vagina yeah uh 
So they arrive at a village that's at the edges of one of the Tarvalin bridges, and they check in with the guard on what's going on. Uh, Egwene continues to be like, is Varen stupid? Why aren't we helping Matt? We get a, another big section of describing Tarvalin with all of the bridges and squares and people and architecture. I skimmed that real hard. I... Like, I skimmed it so hard that I felt bad, went back to it to take notes on it, and then still skimmed it. Beyond? Normally I would probably like this, because I do like the minute details, but I, um, don't really care. Well, you're sick. I'm, I'm sick, I'm tired, I'm, I'm very close to emulating Matt at this point in time, but, uh... That's what's gonna make your return so great, <laughs> when we have his, too. Those are some good chapters. Yeah. Yeah, Matt's chapters are... Revitalize the series, in all honesty. Yeah. So once they are in the city, Huron says, Hey, I'm gonna peace out. Call me if you need me. They arrive at the tower grounds itself. The girls are again admonished. And then... And and they Mm -hmm. promise to do as Varen says and not speak unless they're spoken to. It's a good thing they're not bound to the truth. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, at least if they intend to. But anyway, yeah, Shiriam shows up and they get admonished again because they're dumb. They get confined to their rooms with accepted to watch over them. Uh, the only solace that they get is that they are assured that Matt will be taken care of. Which brings us to chapter 12, The Amarlin Seat. Uh, Suan Sanche paces in her study, which is filled with simple Spartan furnishings, uh, which I'm into. Her keeper, Leanne, comes to arrive her that Varen has arrived, and Varen is sent in carrying the horn. Um, she tells Suan of Rand proclaiming himself as the Dragon Reborn, and we learn that both of the other false dragons that were active at the time were taken into custody at the same moment that Rand proclaimed himself. Which is cool. Yeah, somehow I completely missed this on my first time reading and reading this. I was like, wait, what? Uh, but actually, it is kind of a cool idea that the moment that Rand proclaimed himself, the other false dragons could no longer maintain their status. Yeah. Do they have universal time zones? <laughs> no, this, sorry. I think this was time zone proof. Yeah. When, like, the fabric of reality wants something to happen, it's probably agnostic of what time zone you're in. <laughs> Do you think they were in daylight savings or no at this point? Like, I mean, hey, all of China's on one time zone. Whoa. Okay. This is where my brain goes with the details. This is why you have a first-time reader to ask these questions. <laughs> Well, I apologize to you, but they never talk about time zones in this series. No, they, they never do, spend... actually. Wait, they... what? Tyler. Oh, yeah, they totally... Well, not Bion. explicitly. Beyond. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. There's some stuff that happens with people communicating over the world of dreams and being... I guess it's not night where they are yet. So, even though it's night where I am. So, they know how it is. They know how it be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. There is time zones, just not explicitly. That's my bad. Part of that is that most people aren't using clocks. That's true. Yeah, clocks are still a uh, luxury item. 
that's where I don't know the the, the same moment to to know that as truth is just. I don't think they knew it. I think. I think Varen intuits that like if it happened on the same day, it probably happened almost at the same time. That seems like a pretty big assumption. Um, please continue. Hmm. Uh, maybe. In addition, uh, when talking about the horn, Varen reminds us that, hey, the horn, once you blow it, it works for the person that blew it and no one else while that person is alive. So. And then they start getting very sinister about Matt. Yeah. Sinister and vague. Yeah. Sure would be a shame if Matt died and we had to give the horn back to Rand. And Suan doesn't say one way or another. Yeah, she says about Matt, the pattern has yet to make his fate clear. V sinister. Yeah. Uh, finally, they talk about the Shanchan and how them using the power as a weapon is going to cause trouble for sisters out in the world. And Varen speculates slash calls out that they are going to return and in greater numbers. Yeah, because they're the forerunners. Yeah. So... Sure hope you liked the Shanchan. They're kind of cool. I said as I turned to look at Bion for confirmation. I mean, they're kind of cool if America is kind of cool. They're interesting, at least. Just because they have a southern drawl doesn't make them American. I was thinking more about the militarization and using of people for their power sources we learn a lot more about them as time goes on they're cool people fascinating yeah intriguing jesse knows what i'm talking about um in regards to acidai not to get on the acidai are all puppeteers and they're all some conspiracy illuminati i don't know they They also make yeah they make me feel very uncomfortable that's fair and it's, uh, I don't think I'm going to connect these pieces properly, but it makes me think of nunneries and places where women went when they didn't follow the explicit Mary make babies, where it was supposedly a space where they could just be, but it was also entrenched and really strong rules, so it wasn't freedom either. It was very traditional in its own way with its own agenda. I, I'm, I'm not able to. I get put the this vibe. It. It's it's just it makes me very uncomfortable, especially when these people have power, literally with like magic power, but then also power and how they relate to other influential parts of the world. It's. Yeah, I mean, the tower is structured kind of like a nunnery with that same sort of hierarchy. But, yeah. So I get where you're getting the vibe. The thematics are a little different, but, yeah. Yeah. The answer is, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, you don't say. Plus, anything that has capital mother and sister and things like that tends to go bad real quick. We'll find out if it goes bad, won't we? In chapter 13, hey, Punishments. Hey, that, was, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, in chapter 13, Punishments. Um, so Egwene and Elaine are waiting in their rooms filled with anxiety over what's going to happen to them. 
Yeah, there's sort of a good moment where Egwene is sitting in her room and she's set and she thinks her room had become too much like a prison cell. What if they mean to keep me here in this room, like a cell, like a collar? And so it's just sort of a nice moment to remind us that Egwene is shook. Yeah, Egwene is like completely in the throes of this. I mean, it's it's just PTSD, right? Like, yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They have not addressed the trauma. Well. Sure hope you're ready for that to continue. <laughs> of course not. When do they ever address trauma and fantasy? Um, Brandon Sanderson. Again, the next thing after we finish Wheel of Time. I mean, we'll get Brandon Sanderson before we finish the Wheel of Time. Oh, that's true. Like Mistborn or like other ones that he's done? No, 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 no. Brandon Sanderson's version of the Wheel of Time. But he, he finishes both, the series. He both finishes the series and then also has his own series that is supposed to be his analog to it. Is it as long? Not yet. He's still writing it. Yeah. Let's hope he doesn't die and then leave it for another person to write it. Nah, he's I pretty think, young. I think he's like 40. Yeah. And he writes like a machine, so I don't think there's anything the to machine. worry about. Yeah. He no, he puts out like multiple books a year, right? That's impressive. Or like a yeah. book ever. I don't know. It's not relevant. We'll talk about it later. I can't even finish my ten fan fictions. <laughs> he would. <laughs> uh, so Eggie and Elaine are talking through the small hole in the wall between them and decide that they would rather uh, run and hide from the towers uh, searchers than be stilled here in the tower yeah they're addicted to that good stuff that yeah. true stuff yeah and they're like but i'm not addicted yet though but also i'd if rather you try die. and take it i'll kill you yeah a i'll kill you b i'd rather die not addicted btw yeah this is fine don't even worry about it i just i just need it okay i could stop anytime but i'm not going to yeah I mean, I'm all for the the girls just rebelling and going on a wild adventure on their own, but I don't think they have the survivability whatsoever. You would think so. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> get to it. Yeah. Do they get to have the, the, the plot magic happen to them too because they're close enough to the Tarvalin? Do you mean, are they Tavarin? Tavarin, sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. Tav- Tarvalon is very close to Tavarin. I never really realized that. Look, dear sir, I am very sleep deprived and I no. might have a virus and a bacteria thing going on, okay? I'm doing my best. Do you want me to find you a parasite? <laughs> Just find me a parasite. Do you attitude. think there's do you think a, an achievement will pop up on the side of your view if you get all three? Congrats, you have virus, baby. Yeah, okay, no. Um But, but yeah, Nanave and Egwene are essentially Tavara. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. Like it's never said, and in fact it's like the only reason to think that they're not is that Suan can see Tavarin and that she never says it about them. But like the writing about those two is super clear that they if nothing else at least Egwene is Tavarin and like it would be strange to think that Nenev was so strong in the power and not also be Tavarin yeah like just based on the things that I know from how the series goes it would be weird if she wasn't also but yeah okay. they have adventures I am excited for that yeah. I just 
I don't know. I think they're also going to make a lot of bad decisions, but it's also going to be interesting oh in some way. <laughs> no, like once they minor spoilers, but like pretty much as soon as they are out of the tower in this book, maybe even in next week's section, like they are pretty much continuously on adventures for the rest of the series. Like this is the last time that they are, hey, we're just cooped up in a tower. None of the three of us are doing anything whatsoever. So it'll get better. That's why they're the Wonder Squad. Yeah. So back to the plot. Uh, the accepted guards come in, take the girls to go and see Suan, and on their way, Nenev joins them. When they get there, they get dressed down pretty good about everything that's happened. Not to literally mean dressed down, which is something else that happens in the tower a lot. Uh, Jesse, I don't know if you saw that meme on uh, Wetlander humor that's like, a Sedai does anything in the tower, guess I'll get naked. But like, true. Got the switch. Yeah. Uh. So the new info that we get is that Leandrin uh, came back to the tower and that she and 12 other black sisters left in the night some time ago, uh, killing some sisters, warders, and stealing Turangril. Now that's just rude. Yeah. This section is where I give the knaves, oh my god, she's so stupid. Please call it out, because I don't know if I have it listed. You already passed it. Oh. They go in and they promise not to say anything or, like, give any sass. Mm -hmm. Literally the first sentence is, (laughs) so, the Amaralyn said finally, our runaways return. We didn't run away, mother. Oh my god, she's so stupid. Yeah, but that's why I love the knave. She's so used to being an authority figure when she's not, it's... Yeah. Doesn't go well for her. And then she utters the words, it's not fair, it's not right. Which ah. you live in a society and you're a woman. Rise up. In in which the society is biologically determined. Yeah. How many layers of society are you on right now? I don't know, like five or six. Yeah. I think another reason why um the ace and I make me uncomfortable is because a lot of the hierarchy has them being silent and still and not doing anything. And the traditional womanhood expectations of being quiet and still and not bothering to challenge things is not good. I'm gonna have to make a really tough decision about when to have a spoilery discussion on the podcast with you, but it at least is all justified. Like, in-universe, it all makes sense why they're like that. And it's not a, like, this is the way that women are reason. It's it's a good reason. If you say so. Is it gonna be like when the writer of Twilight tried to argue that um, Bella wasn't awful because she was a girl, it's because she was human? No? No? No, it's a thing because we're like, there. well, Twilight has a, its own bunch of issues, but it was like, Bella was extremely weak and constantly just like, f- flimsy wet paper towel. And then the author was like, she's like that because humans are like that. But then in her gender swapped version, the, the male Bella wasn't like that. No, I don't think it's like that. It's something that, like, it's is, one of those things that doesn't make it more fun to read, but you at least understand why it's Is it like just, that. like, meditation and peace? We'll talk about it okay. later. <laughs> we'll get to it. I am excited to tell you about it, but I know for a fact that there is a specific moment that they bring it up 
close enough that I feel justified in explaining it, because it's one of those things that if you were sitting down trying to put pieces together, you would understand. I'm still not going to like it, though. No, but you'll at least be a little less upset about it, I hope. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so Egwene and Elaine are to be raised to accepted basically immediately. Sick. Yeah. Uh, Time to get naked. Yeah. Uh, And all three are sentenced to be switched until they can't sit down for a week. And then then they're Robert Jordan did a spanking. Yeah, there's a lot. And then they're going to work in the kitchen scrubbing pots for an indefinite period of time, which is until they become full Aes Sedai. Which, not a spoiler, like, Suan says that. She says, it might be the rest of your life, and then later corrects herself to say, I can't have you do it when you're Aes Sedai, so it's until then. We find out that Morgaze was in the tower not long ago, and was so upset about Elaine being gone that she tried to take Gallad and Gawain back as well, and that she left Elida in the tower, which, sure hope that doesn't come back to bite them in, uh, three to four chapters. Yeah, and then Elaine is sent out of the room so that Suan can talk to just Egwene and Nave, and now we get to the good stuff, which is chapter 14, The Bite of the Thorns. How poetic. Yeah. So here we learn the truth of Suan's plan. The only people that she's 100% sure that she can trust to not be Black Aja are herself, Egwene, Neneve, and Elaine. Uh, Elaine needs some extra work before she can go out on errands again like the other two because... Morgays was like about to start a war uh, but those three are the only ones that she can be sure of so those three are the ones that she needs to hunt the black aja for her sounds fake but okay <laughs> yeah sounds tavarin but okay uh both of the remaining girls protest trying to find out more beyond hey go find them and they're basically given nothing the two Interesting notes here are that both of the women, uh, Egwene and Nenave, are as strong as any Aes Sedai in the tower, and that Suan is confident that either one could take Leandrin, and that everyone that Leandrin took with her, the other 12 uh, sisters, are all weaker than she is. So she's not concerned about that aspect. Um, also, that if Nenave didn't they have They just the- need to learn control. Yeah. Specifically. Uh, yeah, because if she says if Nenev didn't have the block, she would be raised to full a Sedai immediately. But because she has to be calm for the test, but angry to channel, she can't do, she can't take the test yet. The girls are told that they will be given all of the notes that were compiled on the stolen Turangriel and the black sisters that left, and are sent off um, after being given the notes that get them through basically anything. Nanave, I could do anything with this. Order the guards to march, command the warders. I could make a warder dance with this. Yeah. Um, she is very excited. The note says, What the bearer does is done at my order and by my authority. Obey and keep silent at my command. Signed, Suan Sanche, Watcher of the Seals, Flame of Tarvalin, the Amarlin Seat. Tyler literally has a copy of it with a wax seal because he's that much of a nerd. I just pulled it out and read off of that. I didn't even put it in my notes because I knew I would have this. Is that the thing that came with your coasters? No. These were two separate purchases. Don't at me. It came with the coins. Tyler has Wheel of Time coasters, by the way. Yeah. 
and also coins. I made a fun joke about it last night. Beyond thought it was really funny, right? No. Oh, well, it was worth a shot. Yeah. So the chapter is over and we get to chapter 15, The Gray Man. Which just makes me think of anime. Uh, before we go on. <laughs> <laughs> the Gray Man. The Gray Man. Yeah. So chapter 15, The Gray Man. Uh, the pair head back to Egwene's room, stopping on the way to see if Elaine is back. Um, on the way, they discuss their fears for the task they've been given, their resolve to not be sent away. Wait, clarification. So Aggie and the knave were in to hear the secret secret? Yes. Or princess and... No. Aggie and Elaine... Aggie uh, and the knave heard the secret and were tasked with finding the Black Alja. Okay. Elaine had already been sent out to start getting switched because Elaine can't go with them because if Morgase finds out that Elaine came back and then was sent out again, she will start a war. Okay. So, on their way back to Elaine's room to check and see if she is there so that they can immediately spill the beans, they talk about the fear and how they don't want to be sent away. Mm. Egwene does have a good moment in here where she asks Nenev why she follows the restrictions given to them now when she's never been one to follow restrictions before. And Nenev's like, I gotta do it because of lo- no reason. <laughs> Looks around suspiciously. I mean, she actually has a nice moment where she says, there are other ways to defend ourselves. If there were not, Aes Sedai would be killed every time they left the tower. We just have to reason those ways out and use them, which is a kind of a moment for Nenev before she was like, screw everything you stand for. Yeah. But now she's willing to play ball a little. For some reason, I don't really know where that character thing comes from, but... No, she's very good. As they're about to reach the destination, Egwene stops mid-stride at something Nenev says, and a crossbow bolt flies just in front of her face, almost killing her. The pair go to the ground, trying to find cover against the assailant, before Nenev finds him and holds him with flows of air. Yeah, the knave only had to see a thing done once to know how to do it herself, when she could manage to channel it all, of course. So, she's got the Sharingan, I guess. Yeah. I can see Vion. I was actually gonna say that, and then you did, so good, good job. So- Yeah, this chapter seemed very anime to me. Yes. Because it's like, I'm so powerful, genius, I just need to see it once, and I can do it, if I can. And, like- (laughs) Almost dead, but not really, because secret ninja dude who sold his soul, also, like, he's gone now? Good luck trying to find the body. Yeah, so Nenev holds him with flows of air, and um, when they get to him, they find him dead, dagger in his chest, with no crossbow to be seen. Um, He's completely average in every way, and Egwene says that if she was looking at a group of him and two other men, she would not have noticed him at all. No so presence anime man. Yeah. Uh, Shiriam shows up demanding to know what's going on with this dead guy hanging in the air. Uh, the pair tell her that they just found him. They're dead. And Shiriam says not to speak of this to anyone except herself or Suan and only speak to it. Only speak to Suan about it if she brings it up first. Uh, so Egwene... Yeah, uh, Egwene pops back to her room. She notices that the crossbow bolt is gone. And once they're free of Shirium, 
Ninave points out that she never asks about who stabbed him with the dagger, which suspicious, big suspicion. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Also, Bionim. I don't know if you put this together, but in that first section when um, Moraine is talking to Min and Perrin about the Solus, that's it's this. Yes. Okay, just making sure. It's like, you made a bad deal, friends. Well, they don't know that. Now they're gone. They're gone. Effectively. So, when the pair leaves Nenev's room, they find Elaine, Gawain, and Galad waiting for them. Um, I'm sorry, they are now at Nenev's room. Uh, there's a long argument here about bringing Elaine back to Andor. We're in chapter 16 now. Oh my god, you're right. You didn't announce the Hunters 3. Chapter 16, the Hunters 3. How could you not? The Hunters 3. Just sounds like folklore. Just kind of like the, the, the Warriors 3 with Norse stuff. Yeah, just mess up your sentence structure. You'll sound fancy. Yeah, sorry. Hunters 3, comma, the chapter 16. Um, yeah, as soon as they walk in, Gawain is like, or Galad says, it's good to see you again to Egwene. I've worried much over you. We have worried much. And for me, it just feels like Robert Jordan throws darts at a dartboard to determine who's in love with who. <laughs> like, there's no such thing as chemistry or shared experience or like what makes sense. It's just sort of random hetero nonsense kind of yeah is this the hets <laughs> there's a couple examples later on where it just feels like okay that's completely random and for no reason but this is also one of them like i see no reason in the text why gowan and galad would both be so in love with Egwene. they've like interacted with her half a time <laughs> half of one time <laughs> yeah yeah don't even worry about it. Uh, there's a long argument here about bringing Elaine back to Andor, or at least being allowed to help with whatever's going on. And the girls are like, no, we can't tell anyone except the two of us what's going on. Uh, Nenev makes them leave, and then they immediately turn to Elaine and they're like, hey, so here's what's going on. <laughs> Which sucks. Because, like, as we find out later... These two are, like, pretty skilled. Galad might be a little weird about it, depending on how outside the bounds of the rules they get, but, like, having two guys that are extremely competent fighters along might be pretty good, especially when it was called out earlier in this section. I didn't note it, but there is a point at which I think Egwene thinks it that, like, no matter how powerful they are with the one power having somebody with a sword along that knows how to use it is probably not a bad idea. So, like, them explicitly turning down help from two people who would almost certainly drop everything to go and help them is, like, a big old thinking emoji for me. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way. But they're not main characters, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're, like, tertiary at best. Yeah, so as soon as the door shuts, they turn to Elaine and they're like, okay, here's everything about the Black Aja. We're going to hunt them. You're going to come with. And Elaine's like, sick. I'm on it. Also, Elaine tells Egwene that both Gowan and Galad are in love with her. And Egwene blushes a little. 
and it makes, makes me think, didn't you almost die ten minutes ago? Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, just like a few pages ago, that she was talking about how she couldn't focus because she had the image of her head exploding like a melon. Yeah. And now you're just sort of, like, giggling and blushing. Coughs in heavy rain. <laughs> you know, you just gotta remind the reader that she's a girl. And she blushes from crushes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just sort of a thing that I feel like Robert Jordan does where events just sort of slide off people's backs and don't affect them. <laughs> yeah. Well, she is in the woman city, so. Literal vulva city. Vulva town. Uh, yeah, so the women also pick up on the possibility of the Amerlin leaving Matt to die, and so they decide that they need to go by themselves and try and heal him, uh, and try and link as a circle to see if they can do it, which... Hmm. The power of determination and friendship. Yeah, good for them. Uh, so that brings us to chapter 17, The Red Sister, because right at the end of that chapter... Uh, Elida walks in the room. So she's here, and she's a not red happy. Sister. Yeah, she is A, the red sister, B, unhappy with Elaine. <laughs> uh, she immediately begins to poke and prod at the girls and tries to find out where they've been. Uh, she also very much clearly knows about the Black Aja situation, which, again, suspicious. Once she moves on from trying to figure out where the girls went because they're very adamant about not saying, uh, Elida moves on to Matt, or I'm sorry, on to Rand, trying to get information about him. Um, Fish curious. Yeah. Uh, when the girls are asked point blank such that they can't really dodge the question, they all pause, trying to figure out a way to say something not useful to Elida. And as... I think it's Nanave is about to speak. Uh, Shiriam walks in and is like, hey, Elida, get out. Also, Bion, you're not allowed to use the term fishing for anyone except Suan Sanch. Yeah. Okay. She yeah. has a monopoly on fishing metaphors. Uh... Yeah. Trying to use a fishing metaphor for anyone else is like you're trying to use tigerfish bait to catch a silver pike. That's chewing a hole in your boat. It's chewing a hole in your net. It's caught in your net. I wish you all could see Beyond's face. It's not happy. They look like I'm about to die. Let's move on. Uh, so Shirium expresses intense displeasure at the pair having immediately told Elaine about the gray man. Because <laughs> it's been like 10 minutes since they were told not to tell anyone. Uh, but says, let's just move on. It's too late. Um, they are supposed to come and watch the healing of Matt by the Omerlin and some others, which brings us to chapter 18, healing. Uh, so they arrive at this room down in the basement, I think. Ten Aes Sedai wait around the room, specifically around the bed that Matt is in. And Suan pulls out the most powerful saw angriel that the tower owns. And it's very clear that like even with... Ten of them plus the song reel, they're not sure that they can actually separate him from the dagger without killing him. So it's nine other magic ladies plus the head magic lady? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and if Suan isn't the strongest, she is very close. And how many types of 
magical lady colors are there again? Seven. Okay. Which, weirdly enough, they don't mention any yellows being in the room. You would think that they would have a yellow here, but... Don't. Aren't they the Healy ones? Yeah. The ones that wear the Healy's? Yeah. <laughs> they just heal you. They just heal you around they to people that are sick. Zoom by. Let me magic you better. Radical. <laughs> um, Radicals in mid-2000s. <laughs> Yeah, I was just wondering that because numbers have magical significance and then also just the, the, the type of magic people they have there you'd think would play a role in the healing. Well, like, what's really weird is that you can link a circle of 13, so I'm not sure why there's only 10, unless they had considered bringing the girls in and then decided not to. As punishment, you can't help heal. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Um, so the process is very involved. Like, it's not that interesting to talk about in the notes, but it there's a lot going on. Um, the Wonder Girls want desperately to join their power into help. Uh, the main thing to note here is that I'm going to do some bad power scaling. They mention that one Ace Sedai with that saw on grill could destroy Tarvalin, and that the person wielding it is currently joined with nine other Ace Sedai. And then Nenev thinks, with all of that power in the circle, she's about half their strength. So, like, it's crazy to think the power difference between Nenev and everyone else that lives in the tower. I can literally explode your tower. Yeah, like, she probably could. She definitely could by the end of the series. She's, yeah. So, anyway, uh, Matt is screaming in the old tongue for a while. And then finally, the dagger is removed and he's healed. In his screams, he was commanding soldiers and expressing hatred for the Aes Sedai. Um, and then he's taken back to his rooms as the girls are dismissed. Hmm. Hmm. Don't worry about it. Let's also not process this whatsoever. Don't even trip. <laughs> uh, so that ends the chapter. Yeah, next week will be... Oh gosh, I should have had this open. We're starting with chapter 19. I know that, which, hey, chapter 19 is pretty good. Uh, 19 through 27. Yeah, like, once we are in with Matt as... The book picks up a lot. Yeah, as a point of view character, it gets kind of crazy in a good way. Like, Matt is not like any of the other characters. We'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah, in my mind, Matt is very much that comic of the anime protagonist, or like born to be an anime protagonist with the hair and the lineage and everything, and just like constantly trying to avoid it at every turn. <laughs> like, no, I refuse to let you tell me about this prophecy. You can't confess to me. Like, just leave. Sidesteps the fallen princess. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Avoids the magical wizard. Yeah. We'll get yeah. to it. Get hyped for Matt. Yeah, so that does it for this section. Um, I think we're, I think we're done from the less good parts. Like I don't remember when a certain character shows up in Perrin's point of view chapters, um, but whenever she does, I think it picks up. Now that Matt is here, it picks really? up. Really, interesting. <laughs> Maybe I'm just carrying end of series stuff back. Maybe he's just really trying to get us to like coffee. <sighs> Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm glad that this section is done. I think that we are in for bigger and better things as time goes on. 
hopefully my need to move across the country doesn't completely stymie this podcast yeah hopefully my new full-time job which is taking up the first two weeks of my next term of school also doesn't mess things up things might be messed up it might be unavoidable yeah but we'll We'll try and mitigate yeah um so on that note jesse where can people find us people can find us on our twitter at wheel reading which i'll have a link in the description you can reach out to us on there and we love to hear anything that you've been thinking about the content also anything you post on itunes or any other uh podcast services is appreciated we love hearing from people yeah um well cool this has been the third wheel uh i'm tyler i'm beyond and i'm jesse and we'll see you next time thanks everybody thank you